Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with two very special guests, repeat guests and repeat co-hosts, Reba Melissa-Tez, a strategy at Intel, and uh, co-founder and CEO of Numerai, uh, Richard Craig. Uh, Cass, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Hello. <laughs> uh, because Richard is, is too honest, uh, or too modest rather, uh, Reba, why don't you introduce uh, Richard and Numerai and why you got so excited about, about the company? Well, I would say that Numerai puts the edge and fun into hedge funds. I'll sell you that one if you want that one. How's that's that very, sound? That's very good. Richard, I know that's pretty descriptive. What would you add to that? <laughs> um, well, the basics of Numerai is that it's, uh, it's the first hedge fund to give away all of its data and allow anyone around the world to model that data for free uh, using machine learning. And then those people around the world provide predictions to the fund that we then... Uh, trade in a global equity, equity long-short strategy. Yeah. I feel like Numerai was one of the last, it was the last legit ICO. It, yeah. It was the last good idea, I thought you were going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. You didn't do an ICO. No, it wasn't, an, it wasn't an ICO. We did create a token okay. um, and we gave it away to our users. Um, and doing it that way was much better because it ended up in the hands of people who were likely to use it. Using cryptocurrency is quite niche at the moment. Only, you know, very few sophisticated people can do it. So it was much better to give it away. How's that worked out? That was two years ago? Yeah, that was just over two years ago. It was one of the first um, Ethereum tokens. We announced it back when Ether was trading at about $5. Right. Uh, and since then, uh, you know, it made some of our users millionaires and... Uh, also has been used tens of thousands of times since we since we released it. So what are, what are people using it for? Staking. What? <laughs> they stake <laughs> cryptocurrency. They stake it, uh, the token, on their predictions. So the big problem with uh, kind of crowdsourcing predictions is you could make a thousand accounts and hope that uh, one of them works. But if you're forced to put money on the line... Um, you're going to be much more careful about what you provide as for, to us. And so what tends to happen is the people who are willing to stake cryptocurrency have much, much higher predictive power than the other people. And so we can use those to trade in our strategy and know that the people who provided those predictions also have skin in the game. Right. And uh, what types of things are they predicting or, or staking? They're predicting... About 5,000 uh, publicly traded companies around the world. So it's like, I think Amazon's going to be even bigger tomorrow than I'm going to... Yeah, but there's one trick with Numerai is that all of the data is totally obfuscated. So the users have no idea what they're predicting on. They have no idea what the data is. And therefore, all they're doing is is kind of finding patterns in the data and... Once they have that, they provide predictions, and they don't. Yeah, they don't know what those predictions are. Only we can know. That's interesting. So you, they don't know what companies they're betting on. Yeah. Why is that? Because if you want to have people, I'm thinking of venture capital that way, but maybe. Yeah. <laughs> First, the one thing is if you give someone something abstract, 
and uh, obfuscated. They can't impose their own biases. They can't be like, I really like Apple because I like the iPhone 6, yeah. whatever. Um, they, they can't do that. So that's a one thing. But the other thing is, if we give the data away in raw form, the users could just run off with it and start their own hedge funds. And that would kind of break the system and the idea of it, which is that people take the data, they model it, and they give back. So like they're giving us predictions, we're giving us data. Um, they don't know what the data is. We don't know what their models are because they keep their models on their own computers. So it all kind of like makes it uh, make sense. Yeah. And then we could do just talented data scientists that try to make a quick buck. Well, they, they, data scientists are very interested in new data science problems and, uh, they like difficult ones. And the stock market really is the most difficult game. Um, it's structured that way. There's thousands of smart, smartest people in the world trying to model it. Yeah. So if you can find an edge on numerized data, then you're really good at data science. Um, if you can make a credit card fraud detection algorithm at a startup or something, Probably just decent at data science. So if we had, you know, other real, you know, hedge fund managers right here in this room, what, what, what's their opinion on, on Numerai? There are a lot of pieces to it that that uh, are confusing to people. So, for example, if you're a hedge fund manager who've kind of barely heard of machine learning, that's a big hurdle for you to understand Numerai. If you're a hedge fund manager that's barely understood Bitcoin, that's a big hurdle. Um, but typically when you kind of have both of those things, it seems like a really good idea. Um, but if you don't have that, it seems like a bad idea. I mean, to be honest, if you're a hedge fund manager and you don't know about Bitcoin or machine learning, then you're not probably a very good hedge fund manager. You should see. <laughs> you should see. There's lots of different kinds of hedge funds out there. And some of them aren't quantitative. Mm. And a lot of people uh, in finance like Warren Buffett and JP Morgan, you know, have all these very concrete views on Bitcoin, but it's very clear they've never even moved a Bitcoin from one wallet to another. So, do you consider Numerai a prediction market or retired prediction? No, I don't think it is. I mean, uh, we're buying predictions, um, but prediction markets are kind of like ways to um, to trade on information that you have. Yeah. But Numerai is kind of very different to that. It's like prediction garage sale. It, it, it's more like a data science market, yeah. kind of. And how do you go back to like how you thought about the idea and how you thought about this would be the unique sort of angle of attack with this type of technology or this type of like, wisdom of crowds versus sort of some other element of finance? Well, uh, I was a quant. Um, so after I graduated, I studied mathematics and I ended up uh, taking some machine learning after that in 2012. Uh, when machine learning was starting to get very interesting and you had different breakthroughs in computer vision. And I decided to learn it and then apply it as a quant. And I managed to find a few patterns that worked extremely well. And um, at that same time was reading about Ethereum and other things like that. And so I kind of put that all together. Yeah. Trendsetter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so how have you dealt with sort of the crypto sort of, you know, Boom and bust cycle. Like how does Numerai fare that? Because you were one of the hottest crypto startups, like some a company actually using it in a way that made sense. Yeah, it definitely uh, was a very strange thing to be involved with. You know, as a hedge fund manager, we are looking for patents where you know we can make uh, if we could make ten percent a year reliably, 
then that's an amazing uh, hedge fund. And uh, in crypto, people started talking about making 10x, but every every month, and uh, it's never going to end. And it was uh, it was like really scary to see how people got sucked into it. And uh, the, you had people with, again, the sort of like really, really high in the sort of top 1% of people who understand computer science, but but really like in the bottom 10 percentile of people who understood finance. Yeah. And you had quite a few of those people who got uh, badly hurt. Do you think that, where do you think the crypto ecosystem is right now? Does that relate to you at all? Or you just, I'm, I'm building my business. Well, it does in that we really like paying our users in cryptocurrency. We need them to hold the cryptocurrency in order to stake. And so uh, both of those things, you know, mean like we would prefer more liquidity in the overall market and higher average prices. Uh, but we also like uh, stability and, and like uh, sanity. And so that's also, you know, right now where things are, I don't think it's so bad for us. Is it entirely um, autonomous uh, or do humans augment sort of the predictions that you, you purchase? All of the predictions that we trade right now are generated by our users. And uh, there is at the end a risk layer kind of model, which uh, is really just like an optimize, optimizer. All of, all of the alpha comes from the outside and all of it's using machine learning. So I don't actually know. I couldn't tell you one stock we hold or are short right now. Right. Could you imagine a different numerai where the companies were exposed, but you, and so you were asking less for data scientists and more for people who had like inside information on, on those companies, like someone who worked at Amazon or something? Or maybe it's inside of trading. <laughs> yeah. Or expertise in other areas? Well... Um, like with prediction markers for stocks work? Yeah, I do think so. So we did... Um, the. It would be great if... You know, one thing people can't do on Numera is bring their own data. They have to use the data we give them, which has some advantages. But it would also be good if you had some very specific data on technology companies or something like that. And you had signals that like worked very well in that sector. It would be cool if there were a way to give those to Numera and uh, allow us to trade on on those insights. So... That's why we've started a new uh, protocol called Erasure, which is actually live uh, on mainnet as of today. It's really simple. Um, it's just generalizing the, the thing that we noticed with staking of, of NMR, the NMR token on Numerai. If people stake money on information, that information is likely to be more valuable. And the weird thing about the internet is you have all this information, but uh, there's no money attached to it. So you have no idea what you can trust. If you, ha- if you make people stake, you can not only say, well, it seems like someone trusts this. You can even see how much money they've put down on, on that piece of information. So Erasure is broadly taking that as far as you can go. And could you have an uh, information marketplace where people could sell arbitrary information on anything? And um, they stake it to prove that they believe in it, which means it's going to be more likely to attract a buyer. So, for example, if you were to say you have a bunch of uh, dirt on uh, Epstein uh, and you would send me an email and say, I have this dirt on Jeffrey Epstein. Would you like to buy it? I'd be like, first of all, I can't trust you. I don't know who you are. Even if I pay for it, 
how do I know you'll even send me the right file? Um, but if you said, hey, I have some information on Jeffrey Epstein, I've staked $100 on it, and you don't have to trust me, you can go look at the blockchain and see, there it is, it's staked with $100. And by the way, if you buy this from me, um, I'll give you the right to destroy my stake if I, if I don't give you what you're looking for. And suddenly, normal situation where we can trust each other now because of the blockchain and the Erasure protocol, now we can. Now we can start transacting uh, this information. That's an amazing thing. And I think there's a lot of broken, it's like information underbelly where there's certain things you can sell credibly. Like if you're Apple or, or a big company with a big brand like Bloomberg, you can sell financial data because you're Bloomberg. And you have this brand. But if you don't have a brand and you're just an anonymous internet user with, the, with a bunch of Epstein photographs, then, you know, what are you going to do to give yourself some reputation? And we think the answer is staking it. Are you, you going to pick like an industry first to like to try and get onboarded on an erasure or just see who uses it? Well, the, we have the particular interest in stock market stuff. So we're, we've created an application called Erasure Quant which is uh, going live soon. Probably by the time you're listening to this, it's live. And it's a way to upload stock market information and signals. But there's will be other generic use cases. And I do think information to do with kind of like, yeah, interesting things to do with journalism or whistleblowing, those kinds of things could be really good use cases. Some example use cases, uh, like using a dirt on Epstein, like I have dirt on this journalist, this journalist has dirt on me or... Is it dirt, basically? <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a dirt protocol, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah this... It's blackmail. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's anything you might want. So you could also, like, I thinking of examples, like, um, I need someone to uh, go through my Twitter feed, uh, or Twitter used uh, followers, and find anyone who's an engineer, because I'm looking to hire engineers. And um, someone puts together a, a list of 100 engineers and they email me and they say, hey, I've done this job and I've staked it. Um, do you want to buy it? Uh, and OK, cool. Now I've now I've crowdsourced um, this annoying, annoying job. Um, and that same kind of thing could be applied to anything. What about insider trading? Well, yeah, insider trading, you know, for any hedge fund, they have to be very careful about where they buy their data because it needs to be publicly available. And um, if you use inside information that no one else uh, has, and it's, then you know, you're going to get in trouble. So on Erasure, you know, it's, again, it's a protocol, so anybody can use it for anything. But it's not going to be possible to sell insider trading style information uh, to Numeri, for example, or really any hedge fund that doesn't want to break the law. So um, that will be basically, yeah. You can sell it to like a, a private user though. Like if I wanted to trade on information, could I not do that? Well, if you wanted to, for example, say I'm looking for inside information on Apple. I want to know Apple's earnings be- before time. You could technically post that. We would not promote that. That would that post would not land up on our website, but it would land up on the blockchain. Uh, sim- similarly, like, you know, if we'd invented email, and you used email for insider trading, which a lot of people do. We, we know we, we can't really stop you. Say more about insider trading, both of you. Like, does that make sense? Does, like, should we, if we could change that, would we? 
I don't know if you mentioned a comment on that, Richard. Blitted three times. <laughs> but, like, what's the thinking behind that? Because I, as, as my capitalist, a lot of insider information on certain companies, and then I trade on that information, and that's that's alpha. Why would we punish people? Yeah, I think it is important. I think, uh, you know, in the public markets, the reason American, you know, I think if you took kind of re-ran American history without those laws or without the SEC at all, you would not have got the amazing capital markets that the U.S. has today. So I think it's very important because you want also like if you were an individual uh, trader and you knew you were participating in a market where there was a lot of insider trading going on then you would stop participating. You'd be like, man, my edge is probably really weak. I'm not going to be successful in this market. So you'd stop trading. And so liquidity would kind of dry up. It would be like, man, am I am I the only uh, one who doesn't know all the inside information? So... A lot of people want to be venture capital or angel investors. If you lower the accreditor investor status, a lot more people would invest in companies. No, I don't think so. That's separate. You, yeah, if you yeah. load, if you load the credit investors status, yeah, I think more people invest in companies. But if if it was well understood that um, you know, imagine say you're in like the middle of nowhere and uh, you don't have access to the internet, and your job is to invest in Silicon Valley companies, right. you wouldn't have an edge, and you would know right. you don't because you're deeply not an yeah. insider. Do you think it's self evident that people are that humble about their knowledge of? Even if they're not, they get killed. So over time, it kind of ends up like that. So I do think, yeah, I mean, and even as a hedge fund, like we don't participate in markets that are like totally wrecked because of uh, insider trading or other problems. So for sure, these things are important and there can be a difference. Like you can have public markets and private markets. Like, okay, there's one market where you don't have to have these laws and there's one that you do. And I think that seems like a fair trade. So you're pro the SEC? I'm very pro the SEC. It doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes in the future. It doesn't mean they're going to be as good as they were in the 20th century. It's a shame they didn't catch Bernie Madoff. I think that was a easy, easy one. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think that the financial regulations in the US have been pretty good. But it's probably, you know, it's always a pendulum swinging back and forth. So erasure? Yeah. Erasure is for me to put bounties. I want X done or I, you know, I'm staking this opinion. It, it, is it, if I think Donald Trump is going to win in 2020, do I, or, 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 or whatever, do I stake that? No, not really, because, um, you would, you would trade that. If you think, yeah. why do you think it? Because you have some sort of like set of things happening in your brain that makes you think that. But if you had information, I have information that, huh. uh, is very, particularly interesting for the next election, would you like to buy it? Then that's the kind of thing erasure is for. So yeah, you're thinking about augurs like prediction market where you have, you have this private information and you express it by trading around an auger. In erasure, you have this information and you express it by selling the information itself. And what if you say, hey, I got dirt on Richard and then someone buys it and like, see, did you like the dirt? And I'm like, what is this? It's not dirt. It, or this dispute. Over yeah. Then you can do what's called griefing, uh, where you basically have the right to destroy the stake. Oh, Yeah. So that so, little piece of enforcement is is kind of all you need in, in a lot of cases. You know, even if you and I made a contract on the side in real life, one of the reasons um, I can expect you to honor the contract is because 
you know that there's a threat that I might sue you if you don't honor the contract. That doesn't mean that every time I make a contract, I sue you. But the threat, the sort of like looming possibility that I may grief you, may sue you, uh, is enough to kind of make societies uh, work and have lots of contracts be honored. Okay, so let's say I have some information on, on you, uh, and I met with Riva, and Riva says, hey, that's not that interesting. I'm like, but no, but it was interesting. There's a dispute, and she grieves it. Or would she be a bad actor and just grieve things unnecessarily, or would we just give each other zero to five stars, and that's the punishment for both of us? Yeah, I mean, the, she... It's uh, it's totally her discretion. Uh, so you might give this very good information. She decides to grief you anyway. And um, that's the cost of doing business. That's yeah. a little bit like you got involved with the lawsuit and the judge was mean to you. Or there are, there like are examples like there's a, um, a user of Orgo called Poyo, which is what my cat's named after, who is making bad markets and, you know, getting money off the fees and stuff like that. But eventually it's like you start to recognize um, those actions and uh, and then they get policed out by the community, right? And you can change your name and do different things, but you have like, you know, there's his- historical evidence for that. So, yes, it does happen. How do you think about identity and reputation? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really big deal. I mean, if you can know that uh, an internet account is a person, it's it changes uh, what you can do. But uh, I think reputation, yeah, it seems like something really good for blockchain being permanent, but I think connecting it with money is also very important. And so because you can't really know that a blockchain address is a person by putting money there, you're kind of like, okay, at least the guy's got still sounds money. like an ad for earn.com. It's just the idea of, of combining, you know, uh, identity and and, uh, and money. I was like, all right. No, it's not some at all. No, no, it's not. <laughs> well, what is Earn? I mean, isn't it just right now? It's just a way to. Uh, it's, it's stupid. Well, Earn's vision. What? Okay, what's Earn's vision? Uh, so people can earn money on the internet doing tasks using cryptocurrency. I thought it was like a way to like get people to open your email. That, that was the first product. Yeah. Oh, they changed it. Well, now you can. I'm an Earn apologist. <laughs> <laughs> That was a long-term vision, and I think on Coinbase they've achieved something. Well, yeah, I think on Coinbase I've got I've earned one dollar by watching a, a, a YouTube video about um, zero X or something like that, or die. Yeah. You know, we're not really trying to get people to. I guess you're not doing TaskRabbit. No, 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 <laughs> not even close. Yeah, maybe it sounds. It's a like mixture it. of Earn.com and TaskRabbit. Maybe kidding. it sounds like it. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> you, you, the founders are not going to be like, wait for me in line or. Or the, the engineer example is, is that the common use case or is that sort of the, the French use case? I really don't know what the use cases are going to be. Yeah, yeah. Are people doing that? Isn't that what, isn't that what Gitcoin is doing? Was that, weren't they doing bound, engineering bounties? Yeah, they were. They're not doing that anymore? I think they are. Huh. Um, yeah, but I think what's different is... is Yours is more about information than about like uh, a real world action, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, and and again, it's not like, um, I don't know whether someone putting something up and saying, hey, we're re-requesting this data is the main thing. It could be more that, hey, I have this data. Right. Another example maybe is like, I, I have a bunch of my own healthcare data, yeah. DNA and things like that, MRI scan. I could put that up on Erasure and be like, does anyone want to buy this for $100? Right. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a similar sort of general mission to Numerian, to the broader crypto space generally, as we, but it is somewhat of a different product. 
and so how do you think like why build the, build this app as a later how do you conceive it? Yeah, well, we needed the protocol basically because we already have two apps that use it. Numerai uses staking and griefing. Erasure Quant, which is to crowdsource quant signals, is for Numerai. It's a product for us to buy quant signals. That's also using staking and griefing. So now we're just like, well, we have, we've literally written everything for this. And um, there are so many other things that could use it. And there's so few applications of blockchain that have have taken off um and ours actually has even with this niche user base so we think by opening it up to general purpose kind of applications is going to be a big deal what's your dream situation in five years for erasure for everything for everything Because I remember a quote from you in the Financial Times that was a few years ago that stated what you your end what's the end game, you know? What is the end game? I want to I want to manage all the money in the world. I want uh that, you know, the 50% of American undergraduates who work in consulting and finance stop doing that. You know, you don't need half the smart people playing in a zero sum tournament uh and getting jobs on Wall Street and at McKinsey and things like that. It's all fake and everybody knows it's fake, but there is this kind of like dark pattern in, in capitalism where uh people are being sucked in that direction. If you could have everybody work for Elon Musk and then on the weekend do numerite tournaments and stuff on Erasure, that would be an amazing five year outcome. I uh I've been curious by this idea on the internet called idea markets basically say hey i think this is going to be big and like sort of state based on like prediction markets are this will be true or not true this is just i i think this is going to be big right i think this is a meme that should spread or something like we have a stake on, on different ideas sort of stock market ideas have those rise fall like even business ideas or yeah. anything. anything markets for everything yes markets for everything is great i love that <laughs> we should have markets for everything <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh it'd be nice to have liquid markets for everything and uh, a lot of these things wouldn't be liquid. I don't know. I don't have any view on that. Why would they do that? Because you need people betting on that? Yeah, if it were if it were things like the price of a meme or something. I don't know. If you if, <laughs> if you could uh, make prediction markets better, what would you do? The ones that already exist? Like Gesser and and how about Vale? What do you think of them? What do I think of Vale? Vale is a good ex- example of a crypto project that just sort of like didn't work. Really? Um, yeah, they've just like sunsetted it. And th- I think the reason for that is a lot of the, the best ideas are come from like a place of vision. And uh, you have things like Augur, where it, it was like all, all the ideas around it came from a kind of pre-crypto world. So they weren't like being derivative. And so they had more of a philosophy and a vision. But now you have these crypto startups. It's like, we have no idea what to do. Uh, we're good at software. Uh, we don't want to work for Google. So we start a, a crypto project. It should all just be numerary users. We should create like a, like a cemetery of like failed startup people who are really smart. They should all just go make more money on, by being staking on numerary. That, that's, a, that's probably, yeah. I think every, any, any time an, an entrepreneur asks me to invest in their company, I should just be like, no. Yeah. Go work for Numerai. Go earn it. <laughs> yeah. I'll help you earn it. Yeah, go to earn.com. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, Richard, do you think we're going to go into a recession? Yeah, it does feel like we're closer to the 
top, a top than a bottom. But, you know, I don't have, uh, I don't really follow the markets. <laughs> you do or don't? No. So you don't? Why? Well, let's not get political here. But, uh, oh, oh, Trump. We can take it out if you don't want. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think there's, the, the leftist media really wants there to be a recession. So it's more of like a fight between if they can make it happen because it makes Trump look really bad. And this is irrelevant to my political views, but I think that uh, it's a tug and war between the two. But I, I don't think it's necessary from the financial markets that will cause it to happen. If you want a recession to happen, you need everyone to believe that there's going to be a recession, right? And it's like they're trying to do that very slowly. So uh, it's, a, it's, a media, it's a media game to me right now. But I'm staking against it. It's fake news. It's fake news. The principles behind Numerai, what you guys are doing there, could that be a plot? Like if you were in charge of a fund or you were doing this for customer startups where you wanted people to build things related to it, where else do you think it could apply to the sort of applications that you built or yes. your specific use case, but where else could it work? Are you doing grants? Yeah, we're doing uh, this grants program where we're giving away some money for people to build on top of the protocol. And um, we've had some interesting ones. Um, some of them are like kind of natural, like uh, crypto predictions, like let's do crypto predictions and not just stock predictions. And maybe you can make a, a special um, user experience for that. Oh my God, that's so funny. Why? That's so, I mean, it's just like, it's a, it's a good idea, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like trying to get that information is interesting. It's yeah. not that much historical information to be trading on. And there's no insider trading on right, crypto. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually, by the way, kids out there. Mm-hmm. A good reason not to trade crypto because mm-hmm. you're you're playing against insiders mm-hmm. and you don't know as much as you think. The uh, could you build a management consultancy that takes a company's PNL over X years and comes up with meaningful output without knowing the identity of the company? Build a management consultancy. Yeah, that takes company's PNL. So what you guys do with Numerai takes the PNL, you know, takes it out to data scientists or analyzes it, send it back. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what's really good about um, other people say, you know, what could you do like Numerai, but for other applications? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Okay. Not a racial frex. Yeah. Like people think, you know, could we give out health care data or any other kind of data and have people model it and have an edge? I don't think you could, actually. I think it's uniquely good for the stock market because I'll tell you why. If you have uh, some kind of cancer detection um, image software, machine learning thing, and you can get uh, 80% accurate. To go to 85 doesn't matter uh, because the big problem is actually getting the model installed and all, with all the doctors and stuff. It's actually like a business development problem. Whereas if you can go from like a 51% edge on the stock market to a 52% edge, you can immediately make money. There is no business development to, to stop you from trading. So the sm- small edges in the stock market matter a lot, whereas in other industries, they don't matter as much. Do you think CryptoKitties is staying power? I got Numerai for CryptoKitties? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my house. <laughs> or some version of CryptoKitties? I don't know. Uh, I, it's, I'm glad, I think it, you know, they did a very good job building the application. And I think there is something to be said about I can imagine playing video games and having my sword that I won in one video game be something I can use in another video game and have it have actual value because I could see on the blockchain how many swords existed. So I can see that kind of thing happening. But I don't know. more. I don't know about games. I mean... Can, uh, we, can we ask Richard some more personal questions? Yes, please. Take Richard, how long have you been in San Francisco? Over four years. 
Now, how has San Francisco and the tech community changed in the last four years to you? Um, Are you long know. or short San Francisco tech scene? I don't know. It's I don't know if it's me I, uh, or not. You know, like, do you remember when we had the, the smoke everywhere? Yeah. yeah. And we, yeah, we had like the whole city covered in smoke and I was like wondering, you know, is this the end? <laughs> um, like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean the wildfires? Yeah. I was thinking like a fog machine. I was no. like, <laughs> <laughs> the wildfires. And yeah. it was just like, at that time, I remember feeling like, oh man, I'm so bored of being here and, you know, there's smoke everywhere. And then I was like, maybe it's just inside me. Like, if I had arrived in SF on that day, I'd be like, wow, this is so cool. Can't breathe, but it's still cool here. But do you think like the quality of startups and, and the people that you meet are going, is going up or going down? I think it's uh, I think it's going down, but I, I it's basically yeah, I think it's going down badly a lot. Yeah. But I don't know if it's just the, my lens on things. It's very hard to get excited about um, you know, someone's new startup idea when you've seen you know the crypto crash. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just the resolution after ha- having so much time here that you have a greater resolution into what's happening. Eric, are you long or short this San Francisco tech scene? It's a good question. I personally. I'm really excited, about, or like I, I don't resonate with the reasons why people are, are unexcited about it. Like homeless people don't bother me. Lots of things that don't bother me about the city. In terms of, I mean, these things tend to become self-fulfilling in some way. Um, no, I, I think I'm long San Francisco and long also like it being easier to build outside of San Francisco too. But um, the company town thing, uh, I'm, I'm pretty long. But I'm long with apologies doing too. Like I'm long people want to start new cities as well. Um, we're star city yeah Numeroid, but for cities <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> oh I'm so short I'm from San Francisco I, yeah. I, I think it was John I can't steal this quote because I think it was actually John Backus who said this but it was a quote that was like um, if you've watched Survivor for 20 seasons eventually you know how to like play the game and it's just like how many kind of university CS dropouts who like go through YC before it's like, like that's just like normal now so to actually have, like, what's the new counterculture? Like, it's a question I keep asking myself. Like, how do you actually differentiate from that? And the problem is, is there's just so much money. So you have this kind of, incre- like, these startups doing very incremental software tooling um, on, like, per products. Like, I don't get excited by a startup incubator uh, projects anymore. And I used to. I mean, a bit. And also, you just don't... It's hard here to do real deep tech, like hardware, bio. Like, they don't have that in San Francisco. South Bay is cool. Everyone should just come to South Bay. That's one of the reasons why I like Numero, because when I first met Richard, I was like, oh, shit, like, he's doing something cool He's like taking on the entire hedge fund industry and like building a new model. But I feel like a lot of the startups you see now aren't doing new models. They're just tweaking on a previously existing model. And it's hard for me to get excited about that. Are there any finance startups that you find interesting? Oh, God. Um, fintech, Richard. <laughs> What's cool in fintech? Actually, I remember the when I first pitched uh, Numerai in San Francisco, I gave this really long pitch. It was very detailed and it was talking about machine learning and AI and the future. And um, the investor I met just said, oh, so it's like fintech. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I didn't realize that all I had to do at that time was just say fintech to raise money. But yeah, the, I, I, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't follow actually. I used to maybe follow things, but I don't follow very many things. Uh, I'm, I mean, I am interested in Augur. That's one th- that I invested so in. When is, when is Augur really going to take off? Or like when is to be sure? Uh, I think last time I was with Joey, I'm not sure he would mind me saying this, but he said something like it would, 
like it's currently like a thousand times too slow. Richard, what do you think of San Francisco political political views? Well, actually, I I only meet people who have kind of like right leaning politics. Um, <laughs> that's because they all do. They just pretend that they don't. <laughs> yeah, that's partly because I meet a lot of people through you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I uh, politics be, you know became very interesting after Trump. It was really not interesting, and um, and it's in a people you say it's in a sort of terrible place, but it's actually in a place where probably the public's thinking about it more than they used to. And thinking about what kind of future they want. One of the things I noticed, and I think this is applicable to the both of us, is that actually I noticed that um, people who are here, immigrant, like people who didn't grow up here, often are more slightly more right of center than the people who are here. And I think it's actually interesting because um, it's almost like we came here with an idea of what the American thing was, and then we we're like defensive of it because exactly. like we chose to come here. Right? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's right. I remember feeling, uh, you know. When I first came to college in the U.S., feeling like, oh wow, there's very few people who are capitalists, very few people who are interested in entrepreneurship, and I thought that's what I was coming into—a um, place where everybody was like into that. Why did San Francisco become? Well, you said two things: one um, that a lot of people are right, but secretly. Why is that? I guess because they get shamed for being so. Why, what, how did San Francisco become so loud? I don't know how it became so left, but I feel like you have this preference falsification issue where if some more big people came out that publicly with their views and were confident in it, you'd have this like cascade of people admitting it. But the problem is that we've built this narrative that we should be so scared of that. It's so smart to make it scary to have a certain political view. Um, you make it so scary to be publicly as- associated with that, that uh, everyone just hides it. And like, at least in my case, I'm a slightly lucky because like I'm a fluffy blonde female. So everyone's like, well, she's slightly right of center, but that's cute. Um, but I feel bad for like most of my male friends because they just, they just can't, they, they, especially people who run companies and stuff. It's, it's hard. You, you, people are very emotional about American politics right now. So you are actually, um, attacking a person. They, they haven't separated their political views from their personhood anymore. It's like, the you are, the person is political and it's like you start saying stuff and it's it's just uh it's um it's become a very very emotive so uh it's it's a difficult place to be right now i think well it's interesting you were talking about long long short san francisco the question is sort of what what time frame right like are you long, are you short stanford or harvard like yeah but in the next like, 200 years or something so i would say same so these now it's sort of like you know microsoft right you can short microsoft but you know for the next like, 30 years whatever it's still gonna have power and i think Harvard, Stanford, even San Francisco, short eventually, but the credit is it for a few hundred years? Is it 50 years? Is it less? More? Oh my god, I would like to think they're already fucked. I'm so nervous. But you're ahead of your time. Yes, yeah, it's true. I should start a hedge fund. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we buy and sell universities? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, the edge is just me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think the old guard is dying down. And I think that's one of the things that's available to, 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 the, to the use case of erasure. The more information is freely available, the less like the uh, kind of like hidden elite stuff that was like you, before not well understood becomes more and more available because more information is being shared more freely. So people start to understand that lots of universities are a scam. They start to like... The thing about everything being a scam is starting to break away because everyone can start getting resolution into it because information is more free. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm long on erasure because like, I want more information so I can have greater resolution into the world. And like that is actually just good for the world as a, as a whole. You should make me an advisor. <laughs> resolution is a good word. Resolution. Yeah. 
I think even this, you know, podcast, it's like, you know, I think if there were just a few media players in San Francisco, it would be hard. And they all had a positive, uh, optimistic, left-leaning slant on life. It really would be, it would change the way people think. But now we get to believe whatever we want to believe. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if Ethereum was working, how much of, it, of the shift to Bitcoin is sort of ideologically driven? Stakes, et cetera. <laughs> Versus um, just function of, hey, Bitcoin's working on its value prop. Well, I think... Uh, I think Ethereum is working. I think, you know, there are applications like Orga, which maybe are a thousand times too slow, but Erasure, uh, everything about Erasure works very well today. Uh, to stake something and have the ability to grief the stake is something you can do and have been able to do on, a, on Ethereum for a long time. So I do think that some applications of Ethereum are working, and I think that those ones will succeed. But in terms of, yeah, and then Bitcoin, I don't know if it's living up to its value prop in terms of the transaction speed either, right? It's still much slower, right? Do you think there could be something that comes, that will just win in the space, like something else that will come eventually? I do think that that's underrated, um, the possibility of that. Well, I feel like Bitcoin's position where any actual use case is sort of extra. Digital coin, digital gold is enough. That's ten trillion dollars already achieved basically and so any other usage is sort of spun as a gravy or extra yeah i think that's that's a good point um i think yeah it's great that bitcoin has uh has appreciated in value uh like that is kind of proving it in some way i also and i also think like that might be enough and if you had i remember telling uh, one of my friends olaf who started polychain and i was like getting excited about blockchain back in 2016 or 17 and um, saying, even if the only thing that works is uh, stable coins, that's all that blockchain gives us, um, then that would be so amazing and so destabilizing and so interesting. You mean um, it just as a store of value? Just what would happen if you could do that? If yeah. basically anyone at any time could just be like, you know what, I'm going to take some money and I'm going to put it in this thing that's stable and I'm going to be immune to inflation kind of and uh, volatility. And that's like a lot of people should do that. Like if you take sort of like from a portfolio allocation perspective, um, the average American has too few die. Well, let's say die is a perfectly good stable coin for argument's sake. Mm -hmm. The average American has too few die. Because it's such a good kind of insurance policy against wealth confiscation by the government or whatever. And so you know right now everyone is underweight die. I don't think you can say everyone's underweight Bitcoin. Because it's it's speculative and volatile and maybe that doesn't suit everybody's portfolio. Well, die is syntax. You think that's cool? I think die is cool? I think it's cool, yeah. I do. And um, I don't know. I don't think it's like going to be... I don't think it's safe, as safe as people might think. You can make very unvolatile things in the stock market by just selling insurance. <laughs> and then one day you get killed. Um, so it could be some something like that. For people who want to follow more, you can follow Reva on Twitter, at Reva. Tess. Oh, I wish I had at Reva, but at Reva Tess. At Reva Tess. Uh, Richard, where can you point people who want to learn more about your work? At Richard Crabe. Yes. C-R-A-I-B. And Numerai. And at Numerai. Thank you both so much for coming to this podcast. It's been a great episode. Thank you.
You're welcome. Thanks. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst.